0: Have a word of prayer for our nation at this time and for uh, the families of the first responders and, and not just the first responders, those who uh, worked in those towers and, and the, the planes, and so many different victims of that day. And uh, we're gonna have a time to, to pray that we would not lose sight of our God in trials and in situations like this, that our country would turn back to the Lord uh, as we did last year. We gave a gift card to the area uh, first responders, and we'll be doing that again to let them know that we're praying for them, we appreciate them, and we want to be here for them. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us as a country, and your mercy. Or it's been 20 years since those towers came down, and so many lives were lost. And a lot has happened between now and then, and our hearts are are still heavy, and our hearts are heavy this year, is, as we see uh, continued tra- tragedies uh, here and worldwide, and there's so much that we don't understand, but Lord, we do understand that you are God, you are eternal, your word is sure, and we have what we need in Christ. I pray that you would take uh, your hand and comfort those who are grieving on this day and uh, point them to yourself if any do not know you're stay Savior. Lord, we've seen how you have used trials to draw people to yourself. We've seen it even recently through the coronavirus, how you have used that to open hearts to the gospel and to bring souls to yourself. Lord, would you continue to do that? And even on this weekend, as as folks are asking questions, hard questions, we pray, Lord, that uh, they would be turned to you. Lord, we commit this service to you. Uh, We pray for our country and uh, commit our country to you. And ask Lord for another revival, a great awakening. Lord, that only you can do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We can turn to Malachi. And I I was uh, <clears throat> well, not a good Baptist pastor this morning. I forgot to mention the offering. Uh, it disqualifies you as a Baptist pastor if don't mention the offering I think, uh, But if you are, if you came prepared to worship the Lord in giving, you may do so online at aabaptist.church forward slash give. Or there's an offering box in the back. So there it is. Got that in there. Malachi. Thought I preaching something else because of the weekend. And uh, then I thought, well, no. Uh, Malachi here, where we've been uh, in our series, really does uh, pertain to what we're looking at as a country as we uh, think about the Twin Towers and the Plains and uh, the Pentagon and all that happened 20 years ago. When uh, we think about tragedies, we think about trials, <clears throat> We oftentimes ask, why? Why would this happen? Why would God let this happen? Or how could God let this happen? I remember where I was 20 years ago, I'm sure you do too. I was walking on the hall between classes at college, getting ready to go check my mail, and one of the deacon's wives was walking up the hallway and she collapsed against the wall, put her hands over her chest, and then began to slide down the wall. That's usually not a good sign. And so my friend and I ran over to her, to see if she was okay, and she said, I'm fine, I'm just overwhelmed. D- have you heard about the towers? I said, no. And she said, they hit the towers, they flew a plane into the Twin Towers. My friend and I, I look back on this, I'm kind of ashamed. We left her there, and we ran off to go find out what happened. Uh, hopefully I've matured a little bit, uh, but we ran off to find out what happened. What happened to the towers? And uh, it was surreal to see that uh, this was actually happening in real time. And to see that second plane hit the ground and uh, you could see people jumping out of, of the, the windows and uh, it, it, was, it was a crazy, crazy time. And many people did ask, why? And how could a loving God allow such evil? How could a loving God allow this to take place? You know, it is these questions that uh, we live with Daily. We have things in our lives, things that you're facing today, things that you've been facing maybe for years, and you asked the Lord, why? And it can cause us to doubt His love. The psalm mentioned that. Sometimes we doubt His love for us. But sometimes these trials are God's mercies in disguise. It is true. And we have to be faithful. The, the, the theme has been faithful in the work. Our theme verse, Haggai 2.4, Yet now be strong in work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. He is with us, and we don't feel strong, and we don't want to work, and sometimes we wonder if he's with us, but this is the truth. He is with us, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And we see this also uh, in the book of Malachi. We've been looking at Haggai and Zechariah most recently, and now Malachi just getting underway. Malachi is the book that's about the divine disputes with a defiant people. As we look at part one here, the the first section, first five verses, we'll be seeing God's unmerited love for his people. The truth is, no matter what takes place, if the Twin Towers fall, or what takes place in our life, God's love is sure, it is constant, and we have to cling to those realities because there are things that we don't understand. And Malachi chapter one is going to help us, uh, remind us, there's a lot with God that we don't understand. And when you come to a place where you are bewildered and you can't figure things out, it's good to just take a step back and just rest in him. Rest in his word and rest in him. He knows what he's doing. Malachi 1, verse verse 1 through verse 5. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Again, the word Malachi means my messenger. Malachi had a burden on his heart. He was just simply the messenger to give it. And here it is. I have loved you, saith the Lord. There's a period there. In other words, that's it. That's the message. Well, he, he goes more in detail. But everything he has to say in the book of Malachi, every single verse, every point, every application comes out of that phrase. I love you. And I want you to love me and to walk with me and fellowship with me. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Have you ever done that? Have you ever doubted someone's love? Someone says, I love you. And you say, oh yeah? Prove it. Show me. Show me your love. Wherein hast thou loved us? Well, he does not have to argue with us. He doesn't have to defend himself. God's not on trial. But he does give some explanation here and and he, he, he says, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob and hated Esau and laid his mountains and heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Now this is interesting. If I said to my wife, "Hun, I love you. And she said, Prove it. Wherein hast thou loved me? I'd probably say, well, I, 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 I promised I loved you and, and I, 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 I married you and I've been faithful to you and we're raising the kids together and I remember I gave you that ring and I gave you, you might show, you, you might remind her of good things that you've done, serving, helping, you know, uh, partnering and all the things that you do to show that you love someone, the time we spend together, the long walks, the, you know, blah, 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 blah all the good stuff. Isn't it interesting that god didn't do that in this passage i love you jacob prove it okay i didn't destroy your life like i did your brother (laughs) that's kind of weird that's kind of backwards like like who does that and why uh well this is kind of reasoning from the negative you might say but there is a reason here and we're going to see it i hope so they hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness, wherein Edom saith, we're impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. So in other words, Edom says, all right, we might be down, but we're not out. We can do this, and we're going we're to build the desolate places back, even though God knocked our houses down. God says, oh yeah? Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down. You know you can do whatever you want to do but if God ain't for it it's not gonna work you're gonna build yes you will build but I will knock it down and they shall call them this is now their legacy the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever and your eyes shall see and ye shall say the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel Wow. God says, I love you. He asserts his love to them. They say, prove it. And he says, I chose you and rejected Esau. I've blessed you, although he doesn't talk about the blessing. That's kind of inferred. They got all of this cursing. Why would God show his love to them that way? I hope we'll see it here in a moment. First of all, some questions that that this, this passage provokes. You might say, does God really love Israel? Well, the answer comes back, yes, he does. Uh, he and, and the answer is this: You're the younger twin brother of Esau. I hated or rejected him, and you chose and chose you to be my called-out people. So God asserts, I love you, I chose you, I, I did not choose your brother. But here's the other question: if God is love, is he capable of hatred? And why talk about Love and hatred in the same passage. Uh, This does seem to be different to our way of thinking, but it has its purpose here. Is hatred possible for God? Now, we live in a culture that is uh, don't hate, right? Don't hate. Everybody says that. I don't even know what all they mean by that half the time, but not allowed to hate anything. You're supposed to love everything and everybody get along as long as you get along with their agenda and whatever. They're allowed to hate us. We're not allowed to hate them. <clears throat> God does hate. The Bible teaches that. A few verses for you. Proverbs six sixteen. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. Abomination means it's just loathsome. It's the worst of the worst. And you see it there on the screen. Pride, lying, hands that shed innocent blood, a, a wicked heart, and so forth and so on. So we know he, he hates sin. Proverbs 8 verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. So these verses teach us very clearly God does hate. He at least hates sin and evil. We got that much. All right, what else does he hate? Amos five twenty one: I hate, I despise your feast days and will not smell your solemn meetings. Verse 6, chapter 6, verse 8, The Lord God hath sworn by himself, saith the Lord God of hosts, I abhor the excellency of Jacob, and hate his palaces, Wherefore, therefore will I deliver up the city with all that is therein. So what does this teach us about God's hate? It teaches us that he hates the empty, vain show of piety, their empty hypocrisy in religion. So yet two extremes. He hates, Proverbs said, he hates evil and, 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 and sin, and over here in Amos, he hates the false piety and all that. Okay, what else does God hate? Revelation 2, 2 6, he says that he, that he hateth the deeds of the Galatian, which I also hate, so he even hates some deeds. Romans 9, though, says, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. This is where we say, now hang on. This just doesn't seem right. Like, okay, God, we'll give you hatred of sin. Proverbs 6, That's fine. We'll give you hatred of hypocrisy and empty religious piety. We'll give you that. We'll even give you the hatred of the deeds of certain peoples that don't know you. But Romans 9.13 says you hate a person. I I thought God was supposed to love everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? I mean, uh, how in the world can God hate Esau? well we understand that there are in the bible words that depending on the context and the nuance of that passage do take on different different nuances different meanings and hatred in the bible is often about refusal and rejection concerning a specific choice all right hatred in the bible is often about refusal and rejection concerning a specific choice we see this word hated used in this manner <clears throat> elsewhere in Scripture. In the story of Jacob and Leah, Genesis 29, verse 31, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So she was hated, it says. Genesis 29:33. And she conceived again, and bare a son, and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Was she really hated the way we think of hate? and that Proverbs 6 idea of hate, God hates a proud look. It's an abomination. Was Leah an abomination to Jacob? I don't think so. I don't believe that that's the nuance of this word. Words have multiple nuances. This is the secondary nuance, meaning a refusal or a rejection or a passing over in a specific choice. Who was Jacob's choice for a wife? Rachel. Did he get her after the first seven years of serving for her? No. They had a thick veil. And I don't know how that, how do you get through the whole thing and not know this is not the girl? <laughs> okay. Uh, he, he married the wrong one. Laban, his father-in-law, pulled a fast one, switched out the brides, and then he, he you know, pulls the veil up. Oh, this is not, this is not the right girl. And Laban says, well, serve with me seven more years and you'll get the right one. And so she is the one who is not his choice, but it does not mean that he like, loathed her. You see him interacting with her very respectfully, taking care of her and her sons. And ultimately, she was the one that was buried next to him when he died. Not Rachel, Leah. So hated in the sense of rejected, passed over, refused. You see this also in Deuteronomy 21. Deuteronomy twenty one fifteen, if a man have two wives, one beloved and another hated, and they have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated, and if the firstborn be son of hers that was hated, then it shall be when he maketh his sons to inherit that which he hath. That he may not make the son of the beloved firstborn before the son of the hated, which is indeed the firstborn, but shall, be, shall he acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn by giving him a double portion. In other words, he says he's got two wives. The one is his choice, his first choice. His, his, it's just best to have one wife, gentlemen, all right? But uh, this is back how it was. It's one he likes, one he doesn't. Well, what do you know? The one he didn't like, she has the firstborn well, I don't want to bless her firstborn. I want to bless the firstborn of of my chosen. God says you can't do that. So God looks out for the hated one, if you will, the one who's passed over. After the service this morning, uh, someone pointed out to me that I missed a a passage and I got to get it in here. What did Jesus say? That we should hate father and mother and what? Follow him And if you're not willing to hate father and mother, you're not worthy of being his disciple. So is that telling us that we have to be like, okay, mom and dad, sorry, I got a Bible verse for you. I hate you. Never call again. It's over with us. It's just me and the Lord from now on, click. That is not what the Bible's teaching. Honor your father and mother, okay? So what is it teaching? You got a verse that says, honor honor your parents. The verse that says, hate your parents you got to understand what that word hate means in that sense it is meaning it's talking about choice if it comes down to a choice between mom and dad or me god says you're going to refuse reject pass over your mom and dad and you're going to choose me there it is so the word hated here is the idea of passing over so we go back to esau As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Don't think of God saying, I just hate you, Esau. You turn my stomach. That is not what God felt for Esau, and let me prove that. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll go ahead and do it now, and I'll back up. Deuteronomy 23 and verse 7. I think I got this in there somewhere, guys. You may have to skip around, but Deuteronomy 23 and verse 7 Says, thou shalt not abhor an Edomite, for he is thy brother. Thou shalt not abhor an Egyptian, because thou wast a stranger in his land. So wait a minute, wait, wait. I'm not allowed to abhor an Edomite. And who were the Edomites? Edomites are Esauites. Okay. For some reason, they didn't call them Esauites. They called them Edomites. Uh, Edom, Esau, has the idea of red. He was a red man, and that was actually interesting. It was a Edom. The land of Edom was a red. Uh, dirt land but uh, the Edomites should not be abhorred well why not God hates them Proverbs 6 says that what he hates is an abomination and yet God tells them don't abhor them that's because this is a different kind of hate this is not the hate of an abomination this is the hate of a passing over or a a rejection. So he says, Thou shalt not abhor an Edomite, for he is thy brother. You see God actually looking out for this one that he hates. Deuteronomy 2.5 says, Meddle not with them, for I will not give you of their land, not, no, not so much as a foot breadth, because I have given Mount Seir unto Esau for a possession. So what does that teach us? The, The hatred God has for Esau is not the kind of hatred that we have for abominations. Does that make sense? That's what I'm trying to establish here. He's looking out for them. He gave them a land. He gave them a possession. Mount Seir is theirs. Don't meddle with them. I'm not even going to give you one foot breadth. Does not sound like someone that God is just angry at. No, this is someone that God passed over for uh, for a, a divine purpose. In other words, Jacob... He loved and called for something that he did not call esau for and that's how it is with you and me too by the way some of you've been called to things i've not been called for i got passed over and you got called for something and 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 god and his love his loving purpose for you called you for this and someone else didn't get that loving purpose they got a different purpose so uh, that, that's kind of the idea of, of, of uh, that word there, hated, and, and what it means. But let's look at Romans 9. All right. <clears throat> you can't look at Malachi 1 without looking at Romans 9, but it's dangerous when you go to Romans 9 because you really need like 20 hours to work on this one. This is the passage that all the scholars and theologians have been debating and arguing about for decades and centuries and all that good stuff. This is the passage where, is God sovereign or is man, does man have free will? And the Calvinist says, the Calvinist more emphasizes the sovereignty of God and diminishes the free will of man. The Arminian exalts the free will of man while diminishing the sovereignty of God. I'm not either of those. I don't claim to be either of those, an Arminian or a Calvinist. I just want to take it what God's Word says. So when I read a verse that talks about election, I I might sound more like a Calvinist. But when I read a verse that talks about uh, free will, whosoever will may come, somebody could come out of a message like that thinking I'm an Arminian. Uh, Truth is, they're both in the Bible. And here's what I don't want to do. So some Calvinists, they, they emphasize the sovereignty and election and choosing and all that of God and diminish the free will of man. So when they get to verses like whosoever will may come, they doctor it up. I've seen them do this. They say, well, whosoever will is talking to whosoever will of the elect. And for God to love the world that's speaking of the world of the elect. And then you have over here, you have the, the, the Armenians do the exact same thing. Oh, well, when it talks about election, it's not really meaning election. And when it talks about God foreknowing and and, and His foreknowledge and His sovereignty, it's it's actually not what it means, and they have their ways around it as well. Uh, We don't want to choose a system that binds the Scriptures. We want to let the Scriptures speak and that sometimes it it ties our head in knots, and that's okay. It reminds us to be humble. There has been more pride stirred up and engendered through the Calvinism-Arminianism debate than anything else. And, uh, uh, yeah, I don't even want to get into that. It, it, just, it just gets ugly, and everybody thinks they've figured it out. Well, you're going to look at Romans 9, I think you're going to see that we haven't figured nothing out. But here's what we do know. Verse 10 says, Not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even our, by our father Isaac for the children being not yet born neither having done any good or evil that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works but of him that calleth that's an important verse, we'll come back to that it was said unto her the elder shall serve the younger as it is written, Jacob have I loved but Esau have I hated you say, well wait a minute, that's not fair this kid got a bad rap before the kid was even born his mom knew he was going to serve the younger Well, what in the world? Oh, I know what it is. It must have been that God knew Esau was going to be bad and Jacob was going to be good. Go back to verse 11. Nope. The children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. In other words, it wasn't about what they're good or bad. What was it about? That the purpose of God, according to election, might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. In other words... God does what he does according to his purposes. And in the womb, Esau got passed over and Jacob got uh, chosen to a specific calling, a specific election, a specific calling. And we might struggle with this. In fact, the author, under the inspiration of the scriptures, figured we would, and here it is. Verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? He's reading our minds. Look at that. I was thinking that. Answer, God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Wow. Uh, In other words, God doesn't always do it the way we think he should do it. I didn't put all of Romans nine in the notes on the screen, but I wanted to give you a couple of more. The further you go in Romans nine, the deeper into trouble you get. But we're going to do it anyway. Why not? <clears throat> I, I hesitate to spend too much time here because you need more time. But with the Lord's help, we'll at least get a little further here. So look at verse eighteen. Therefore, he hath mercy, mercy on whom he will, and on uh, uh, and, and whom he will, he hardeneth. Wow! What in the world? Verse 19, thou wilt say unto them, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? And he even uses Pharaoh as an example. Now, when I was in college, the, the, the teacher said, when we were talking about Pharaoh. He said, I want you, you, this half of the group, you look up all these verses. This half of the group, look up all these verses. Read them, talk, and then give me the answer. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? God or Pharaoh. Well, I was in the half of the group that had all the verses that said that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And I was the spokesperson. And so he says, what did you guys find? I stood up. The word of God says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Great. What did you guys find? The word of God says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So which one was it? Yes. Yeah, they did both. There's things that we don't understand about how sovereignty and free will uh, coexist and and, and and collide, but that's the way it is, and God says here uh, that that whom he will he, he he hardeneth and that he was involved in what what happened with Pharaoh back all those years ago let's keep reading uh, so we 're in verse nineteen, verse twenty nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against god so the answer Is this when when you're saying if if God just chooses who He will and hates who He will, then what do what do I care? It's not my fault. Who can resist His will? So I'm off the hook. And the answer to that question is, who do you think you are? You're answering in a courtroom where you don't have all the information. You know, I I was tried, well, not I wasn't tried. I I went to court to be tried for disturbing the peace for an outdoor service that I conducted when I was street preaching. We did it every single Friday night. We had an amp, we had a cop that would come out, make sure that our amp was set to the the correct decibel level. Every Friday night, songs, preaching, open air service. We were not obnoxious, but there was somebody who who complained and filed a report and then ended up going to court. When it all got to the judge, before anything could happen, the judge starts laughing and says, you don't have enough for a case. Dismissed. Get out of here. Next. You didn't, there's nothing here. You can't even begin. Now he had, there was a lawyer and there was, a, there was all these people and they had all this stuff, but the guy says, you don't have a case. Get out the door. And I believe me, I'm out the door. I'm not waiting for him to change his mind on that one, right? Okay, well, we come into the courtroom of God, and we want to argue with God, but we don't have a case because we don't even know what we're talking about. Let me help you here. I know we're in the weeds for a minute. We're going to get out of the weeds in just a second. I hope the Lord will help us with this to get the application. But we're looking at Jacob was chosen, and Esau was hated or rejected, and, and Pharaoh, and well, maybe there's no hope for me. Maybe, as it says there, who can resist his will? And he says, nay, but who art thou that repliest against God? Shall this things formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? In other words, God knows what's going on. You know, folks, there are, there are things that we don't understand. And when God talks to us, he has to give it to us in our language. And is it, is it conceivable that heavenly ideas, when they're put into the English language, may not get the full picture? I'll give you Kinfielder. Kinfielder, Baptist uh, World, worldview ministries, they translate the Bible into unreached people groups, languages. Remember what he told us last time he was here? Some of these language groups are so primitive, they're having a hard time translating the ideas of Scripture, because some groups don't have the word "forgive." Can you imagine there's no forgiveness in a culture? What kind of a culture is that? Do you want to, li- Anyone want to sign up to live in that culture? They don't even know what forgiveness is. It's not even a concept. They don't know what re- re- repentance is. No concept. No concept of, of remission or, or uh, grace. And they're, they're trying to write the Bible or translate the Bible into their language, but they don't even have words to attach to these concepts. Now, that's us trying to help a primitive group. But what if we're the primitive ones? And what if God, when He gave us His Word uh you know we're, we're human we cannot understand all of infinite deity i'll give it to you this way <clears throat> preachers have said all my life i've heard preachers say when they preach on hell hell is eternal what does that mean it means forever and ever never 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 it means after a million years you're still in hell and after another million years you're still in hell, and after a million million years you're still in hell Folks, I'm sorry, but that's actually incorrect. The Bible never, ever talks about hell or heaven in terms of years. It talks about it in terms of eternity. Well, it's the same thing. No, it's not. It says everlasting. It says forever. It says eternal. That's what it said. That's what it said. It didn't say years. But we, what do we do to to understand eternal concepts? We put it into words that get us as close as possible, And for some of these concepts, it just doesn't get us that close. Does that make sense? But hell and heaven are not millions and millions and millions of years. You know, when I was a kid, I used to actually, I'm going to be honest with you, I used to sit and contemplate heaven and get discouraged. My wife thinks I think way too deep sometimes. I don't think enough, but I'd say after a million gazillion bazillion years, I will have done everything I've ever wanted to do. I've solved the Rubik's Cube a gazillion times, you know. I, I'm, I, I can do everything. I've climbed every mountain. I've done everything. I was saying every song. I can now read everyone's brain. What do we do for the next gazillion, million years? There's no years. God inhabiteth eternity, the Bible says. That helps me with the whole sovereignty, free will issue. Were we chosen? Did God choose you, 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 you? You're all saved. And I'm choosing all you to be lost. And what all happened when we are chosen before the foundation of the world? I mean, the lamb that was slain was chosen before the foundation of the world. So what about the choice? What about the election? What about the free will? Do we really have a free will if we were elected? All of this happens in eternity. We don't understand that. We only think linearly. So God elected us, the Calvinist says, linearly on that part of the time frame, and therefore we have no free will today. And, and, and what well, we've got to realize, no, 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 God's bigger than all this. And that's why it says, Nay, but, old oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? Get out of the courtroom. You can't even argue the case because you don't even have a clue what all you're dealing with. You don't have half the facts. You don't know how eternity works, so you can't understand election you can't understand uh, uh, his foreknowledge. You can't understand how God's uh, how a humans' free will interacts. And yet, I do believe in free will. Why? Because God says we have free will. Hath not the power? Hath not the Potter power over the clay? So God is the one who has the power. And then I don't have time to go into the rest of it. But He says, "What if God, <clears throat> willing to to show His wrath?" Uh, to, and make a, uh, I'm sorry, what if God, willing to show his wrath and make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And you can look at that and say, wow, it almost sounds like God just fitted people to destruction. But it also says, what if? Right? What if? Didn't say that he did, but these are what we argue about. The bottom line I'm trying to get to is this God is bigger than we can. He he, he is bigger than we can. His ways are past finding out. We cannot conceive of him fully. But I do know this. He did not just choose someone to destruction. Esau was not just chosen to be destroyed. He was passed over. So let's look at some things this, this passage asserts. The passage asserts that God's choice or rejection was before the twins were born. Therefore, the choice could not be about their works or their merit. God's choice of Jacob did not preclude all Gentiles. Romans 9 tells us Gentiles are also part of his chosen. It's another story. But also, God is perfectly just in his choices and refusals. God's hatred of Esau and Edom is an expression of his passing over Esau, effectively refusing Esau for the specific calling that he had made for Jacob, not that he just randomly chose to loathe him. No, he chose Jacob. So why is this all so important? You know, folks, it's like this. I, I said before, why did he choose to show us his love from the negative? I did not choose Esau. I destroyed Esau's land. You got the promised land. He got the wilderness land, the desolate land. Uh, here's what I here's what I did to Esau, and and his legacy is. The, the, the land that God's against, basically, it says. Why? It puts us in our place. The truth is this, folks. <clears throat> the truth is this. The question is not, uh, you know, how could how could how could he um, do that to Esau? The question is, how can he love anybody? The default setting is we're all Esau. We're all sinners. We're all just worthless. There's no righteousness. There's no goodness. And so let's, let's look at this. Three things I want us to take away from this. God's loving choice, first of all, is not something to be taken lightly. God's lo- choice is not something to be taken lightly. It, all, it, it should not be challenged or called into question. We recognize that it is completely undeserved, completely unmerited. We only love him because he first loved us. Israel was the chosen people. We are His chosen bride. Praise God for that. Don't take it lightly and don't call it into question. The question is not, is God being fair in His love to me? The question is, is it fair for God to love us at all? Is it fair for God to love us at all? We are dead in trespasses and sins. We do nothing but disappoint Him every single day. We, we sin and, and we continue back into the same patterns don't take lightly God's loving choice in your life and leading you to salvation and leading to you to his divine purpose for your life. But also I want to say, be careful that you don't fall into this trap of the devil where you might say, well, maybe I'm just one of the, maybe I'm just one of the hated ones like Esau. Thanks, preacher, you've helped me today. You've helped me understand my life. And now all makes sense why it's just been misery for me. I must not be Jacob. I must be Esau. Therefore, I'm hated, passed over, and I might as well just do whatever I can, you know, in my measly, worthless existence until I'm done. No, let me tell you who you are. If you're saved, you're part of Christ's church, the chosen bride and here's what God's word says about his church. It says that he loves the church and gave himself for it. That he is the head. That the, the church is his own body. The Bible says that God loves you. He loves you as part of his church. You are not Esau. You are accepted in the beloved in Jesus Christ. Don't let the devil get you off on that. Again, it'd be just uh, go back to Romans 9 and, 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 and uh, don't argue with God. God's loving choice should not be taken lightly, but secondly, God's act of rejection concerning Esau as a reminder of the mercy we've been given. We see people under judgment every day, and the question should be, instead of we ask, why is, that, why is God doing that to them? The question should be, Why isn't God doing that to me? That's the question. Why does he even talk to us? Why does he even care about us? We're so sinful and so fallen. How do you view yourself, friend? Do you view yourself as someone who cannot survive apart from God's mercy? i just come to realize that more and more and more the longer i live i don't need god's mercy for my bad days i need god's mercy for every day i live on grace and goodness and mercy from god we must recognize god's act of rejection concerning esau as a reminder of the mercy we've been given so again answering the question we asked at the very beginning why did God say, I love you, this way? It's a weird way to say, I love you. I love you. Well, prove it. I don't hate you like your brother. Okay, why did he do it this way? His act of rejection concerning Esau was a reminder of the mercy he'd given to Jacob. You're no better than your brother. You were younger than your brother. And, and you had your problems too. Deceiver, supplanter. Jacob and Esau were twins. He was no better. Jacob was brought into the promised land, Esau. His land was laid waste. And it wasn't because that Jacob was just so much better. No. You look at the Edomites and what they became, and it's sad. It's a sad story. The Edomites became the diehard enemies of, of Israel. There's all these prophecies against Edom. Prophets include Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and Malachi, all prophesied against Edom. And eventually, the Edomites were destroyed, leaving hardly a trace today of the nation of Edom. Gone. God turned against them, and and they they just continued in in, in in those choices. So what was their problem? Like, were they hopelessly lost? Well, God chose Jacob and passed over Esau. They got bitter about that, and just went to the devil, you might say. Verse 4 says that they were going to do it on their own. Malachi 1.4. They basically say, we might be impoverished, but we can change that. We might be down, but we're not out. We're going to build. And God says, you're going to build, but I'm going to overthrow. And they don't exist as a people group today. Their legacy, according to, to, to Malachi 1... Is the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever so what should that do for Jacob all this stands in stark contrast to the history and legacy of Israel a people that endured that were blessed and that will continue to be blessed why because they were so much better than Edom because they never messed up because they never repeated their mistakes no we've been through this they repeated their mistakes Over and over and over and over and over, they had tons of problems and failings, and yet God stuck with them. Why? Because of His mercy and His love. See, God tells them about His love in kind of a backward manner just to show them how much mercy He has shown them. So what does this mean for me today? God's loving choice is not something to be taken lightly, but God's act of rejection concerning Esau is a reminder of the mercy we've been given. Why did God do that to that person? No, no, no. Why didn't God do that to this person? I have the mercy of God on my life. And finally, God's magnification of His glory is His chosen, in His chosen, is His proof of His grace. God's magnification of His glory in His chosen is proof of His grace. It says that their eyes will one day see, verse 5, Malachi 1, 5. They're going to one day see what they were too blind to see in this moment. They're going to one day see that God is magnified from border to border. The phrase there, from the border of Israel, simply refers to the all-inclusive nature of God's magnification in their eyes. From border to border and everywhere in between, everything they're going to see is a wonder of His grace. God gets really, really big when you recognize His mercy everywhere in your life. So we know that the Bible says that they're going to one day see, and he's going to be magnified, but the question for us this morning is will we see it? You too must see God's enduring love, mercy, and grace in your life and give him the glory. Do you remember who you were and where and what he saved you from? Have you reflected on his goodness in your life? And are you willing to reject the sinful, faithless desire to question his love for you? As I mentioned last week, Malachi is a revival book. It's a book that is a plea to return. And here it's a plea to return to the love of God. Haggai and Zechariah pled with the people to return to the work. Here Malachi pleads with them to return to their first love, the God of the work don't question does he love me don't question does it, does he love other people and and why are things happening in this world I don't understand no but rather look at all that's going on in this world and let it be a proof of God's love and his mercy in your own life Romans eight thirty five says who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're you're secure in Him. You cannot be separated from the love of God. Don't doubt it. Don't question it. Don't argue. Just recognize His goodness and His mercy and return to your first love. Lord, I pray that your hand would be upon us in this time as we look at this passage with some, some, some things that are hard for us to understand. But Lord, we know that you love us. That's for sure. We know, Lord, that you are, are good and your mercy is evident in our lives. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is questioning your love in their life, that you would just overwhelm them with your love, goodness, grace, and mercy. Anyone here who's developed an argumentative attitude with God, I pray that you'd convict them and and deal with their pride. May they humbly uh, listen with open ears, open heart. Lord, anyone here who thinks that you still need to prove your love, I pray that they would see your love has been proved over and over again. Lord, may we reflect on your mercy, love, and grace that you might receive the glory due your name. Heads about and eyes closed as the piano plays briefly. Would you take a moment and talk to the Lord? There in your seat? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can't be done. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. He loves you, friend. Will you return to Him? Return to that love for Him. If you don't know the Lord is your Savior, I would encourage you, friend, now is the time to respond. I'll talk to you about how you can know for sure you're saved. And if you'd like to talk to me, you just stand up quietly right where you're at, head to the back, go out to the back, and one of the ushers will teach, you, will show you where you can go into a little room or we can take a Bible and show you how you can be saved. If that's your need, I'd encourage you, please. Don't, don't hesitate. closing word of prayer. If there's a need in your heart, you let me know if I can help. And I'll be praying for you. Uh, tonight at six, we'll have our life groups here. And of course, at five o'clock is the starting point class. You're welcome to join for that. Uh, we'll look forward to that. But we have a missionary family. The Whites are here with us. Glad to have you guys to pass them through. I'm going to ask your brother you, brother few to close us a word of prayer. And then if you want to uh, meet some folks in the lobby, we'd love to get acquainted with your ministry.